Welcome back to Jesus Speaks Farsi. It's been a few episodes since we got started, so we thought we'd take a moment to reintroduce ourselves. Hi, I'm Daryl Lynn, the newest member of our podcast team. So like many of you, I've been hearing these stories of our Iranian brothers and sisters for the first time. I'm from the great state of Georgia. I'm married with two children. And when I'm not recording podcasts, I enjoy a good book, obscure trivia, and dinner with friends. Today, we've got another episode of Chai Time coming up where we'll be discussing thoughts and questions from our most recent series, Women in Iran. Joining me on the show today will be my friend, work colleague, and almost neighbor, Jen. When she's not working to help support the church in Iran, Jen stays busy being a wife, mother of four kids, and somehow also managing to run a farm in rural Georgia with a host of animals and a big garden. Joe, our English co-host, will also be with us today. Joe travels the globe sharing the story of the incredible growth of the church in Iran and serves alongside his Farsi-speaking brothers and sisters in different roles. He's married, has three kids, and before taking on a role with Elon Ministries, used to play professional soccer in the UK. We hope you enjoy today's conversation. Let's get started. So let, let me, so we've heard about women growing up in Iran. I think Moishta's experience was so interesting because she lived through the 1979 revolution and she kind of saw the before and after. She lived through the before and after. And it's so interesting for us to hear people's experiences and they're all different, right? So I, I love Jesus Speaks Farsi because we're hearing from different people and different experiences and it just gives us a more open mind to not everybody's the same. I know you became a Christian at yeah. 19. 19, yeah. How do you feel like your perspective on women changed from... Yeah, as a, that's you know, a good one. Uh, massively. So, um, so before I met the Lord, I, I grew up with... Uh, my parents loved me. They were good parents, but we we weren't following Jesus's plan. We didn't ask him what we should do. We did just good English parents. They loved us. They cared for us, and we went about our days. and And they worked really hard. But when I became a Christian, you know, I I believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. So you start asking questions. You know, read the Bible and. Um, so one of the first things I recognized, and without, without knowing it was an issue actually, I, um, <laughs> I went to visit Macy's parents not too long after I became a Christian. So me and Macy met just around the time I was becoming a Christian and I went back to her parents' house and I was like, have you got any uh, good Christian things I can listen to? I was just willing to listen to anything. I'm like, you know, it was a couple of hours drive to the university and back to their house and they had old tape cassettes and they were Joyce Meyer ones. I don't know if you know Joyce Meyer. Yeah. And so I was like, yeah, sure, I'll listen to them. So I just put on the Joyce Meyer stuff and like, just loved it. Like, mm -hmm. you know, she's not, she's from Texas or Oklahoma or somewhere. She's got a pretty thick accent anyway. You know, this, That's right. you know, fiery woman preaching, really practical and just absolutely loved it. So from my early days as being a Christian, I was like totally cool with, listening to a woman and hearing from a woman. But I think the biggest change for me was like, I was just a typical guy. So I was into having fun and I saw women, you know, women as a way to, to get what I wanted and enjoy them the way I wanted to enjoy them and kind of use them and lose them. Um, so, uh, 
You are laughing. I don't know. We know. Imagine, this, is yeah. not about you. this is not the Joe that we know. Yeah, so. Which is so. a testament to what Jesus has done. This is a testament to Jesus <laughs> has yeah. done, yes. Yeah. So anyway, when I became a Christian and, you, you know, I... Um, you realize that these are God's daughters. Like these are God's children, they're made in his image. And I was walking over to Macy's once and just praying and I was and I was engaged to her at the time. And I remember going, how, you know, how, if I have a daughter, how would I want the guy to treat my daughter? And then I was like, I was thinking of Macy's dad. And I was like, man, I don't, I don't want to upset, you know, I, I should treat her really well. And then I just kind of felt this didn't hear God's voice or anything, but a check in my spirit where the Lord said, she's my daughter before she's anybody else's. Mm. And it was kind of that fear, oh my God, mm. I, I better treat Macy with respect and honor. Mm. And so this kind of, this is the daughter of God. And all women are the daughters of God. And um, and yeah, so just, I, I think it was this uh, new level of respect for women um, that they're made in the image of God, that they're not just there to to please us and, and do what we want. Because like, honestly, I think if, if all men are being real, the, the idea of having a wife that does what you say when you say and pleases you when you need pleasing sounds really good. And it would be nice if God felt the same way, right? But when I, when I became a Christian and I was about to get married to Macy, well, two years, two or three years after being a Christian, I read the verse that says, uh, "Wives love wives. Uh, husbands love your wife the way Jesus loves the church." And I remember just sitting on that for a while and going, "Okay, I need to love Macy the way Jesus loves me and the church." And I think about what Jesus did for the church, and the ultimate price was he gave. He laid down his life for them, but he doesn't just do that. He like builds up the church. He breathes life into the church. He wants the church to shine and be glorified and to excel in everything. And I'm like, okay, so it's my job as a husband to help Macy excel in everything. Like I want her to shine almost as brightly as me, but more really. Like I want to put her on a higher pedestal than myself. And uh, so that's the way I've tried to treat women. And then I had daughters. I had a daughter first, so like it just gets... I was wondering if, it com- if that compounded that feeling of yeah. needing to... Yeah, and it's just like, you know, she can do anything. And, and, and that's why I asked Sarah at the end of our conversation, like you see this woman who just loves the Lord and planting house churches is difficult. I, I think it would be really, really difficult for a single woman to do that in America. But she did it in Iran in places where there was no churches and there were Muslim men who were older than her coming to her for advice. And you can you can say whatever you want about theology. We're just telling stories of what happened and how lives have been transformed. And because of what Sarah did, Sarah said yes to God, you know, whether it's saying yes to going working at another ministry or you're saying yes to going to work or staying at home and being with the children. It doesn't matter. You say yes to whatever God's telling you. And when God anoints people, the fruit of what she did is still there. Now, we didn't go into detail on that episode for people's safety, but where she was in Iran, there were people thriving there still in their Christian war because of the work she did. Mm-hmm. And so I guess my becoming a Christian transformed me instantly to just respect and honor women because they're made in the image of God. But then as I grew deeper in my faith, 
and I learned more about who Jesus was and what he did for women, I'm like, man, it is the job of every man to lift women up, to excel. And, um, and I think you've got to be a pretty secure man to do that, mm-hmm. honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind, of, that's kind of where I'm at. So um, I love getting to work with the Iranian church because there are a lot of women like Sarah. She's not the only one. Mm-hmm. And uh, these women have come out of backgrounds like Baha'is, you know, where they're told to be quiet, where they're told to be silent. And so they encounter Jesus and they're like, I can't be silent anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I just think, think it's beautiful. About, there's, so, there's so many Bahars and Saras still there. And you just yeah. think what, um, yeah, what's possible for them with Jesus. And um, yeah, the thought of Bahar or Sara or Moista being, you know, still being in, in, that, in that place of essentially oppression and not having had the opportunity that they have had, you know, to impact. The, really the global church. Um, it's just kind of a, I don't know, it's sobering to think that there are other women there who still, you yeah. know, or I say sobering, I shouldn't say that. I mean, really it's hopeful because you think these women have had this kind of impact because of their experience, um, you know, with Jesus and that, yeah, there's that many, there's, you know, thousands more women, millions more probably, you know, that that's possible for them too. I love getting to uh, be friends with these people um, because it's so encouraging. But but whenever I'm with them, whenever I'm involved in some of the work over there, I always ask myself, okay, how can this encourage and build up the church in, in the West? Because my family's in the West, whether it's England or America or other places, I'm like, okay, what can we learn? How can we grow? But so much of it, we say like, oh, you know, I didn't grow without oppression. Like some women have grown up with with really bad things in the West, whether it's abuse or whatnot, or being told, you know, they can't do this, they have to, you know, stay in their place. But for most of us in the Western world, we can't imagine ever, you know, like be quiet, don't speak up, put that veil over yourself when we go outside. That their their word in court is legally half of a man's word in court. Like these are real rules in Iran. Me and Jen were talking the other day and I'm like, okay, how do we take these stories and really share them with the West? And and I just thought off the top of my head, um, it's kind of like we read the Bible and none of us can really put ourselves in David's shoes when he killed Goliath. Like, you know, I'm never going to kill a giant. They don't exist anymore. And Jesus probably isn't going to tell me to go and kill a giant. So I'm never going to be in Israel. I'm never going to be a young boy faced with this Philistine giant and told to kill him. But what I learned from David killing Goliath is that I can overcome the giants in my life and I can fight back and, you know, celebrate God. And I just think from these women's stories and even Amir Hussein's as a man, like God can use you. God can shift your mind. God can make you think counterculturally, even when everybody else around you is doing things that aren't right. And and that's what I want people to see, that that Jesus is alive in these people. And even though we may not fight against Islam, because I don't think we should fight against Islam anyway, um, he just 
there's, there's so much hope and encouragement for them so that in our own lives, I can, I can look at my life and go, okay, what am I still doing as a man that I'm just doing because that's what I've culturally always done? Is this really the life of Christ? Is this really how Jesus was? Because if you look at the life of Jesus, there's another thing when I first became a Christian and I read the Bible and you read the Gospels, the women loved Jesus. Mm-hmm. Like they absolutely loved him at a time when women in the Bible days were probably treated worse than women in Iran. And these women loved him and they followed him and they, you know, he, he healed them. He spoke to them. He spoke on their level to them. He spoke to the woman at the well. And I'm just like, how do I become more like that? How do I empower these women and encourage them? And and so um, I don't even know what your question was. I was just kind of... Oh, I was that. Just, that was what I was asking you about. Yeah, how you saw women before and after. But Yeah. Yeah, I love that you brought that up because it makes me think about just... Well, um, my husband and I were talking the other day about how Jesus, yeah, subverted just how, um, I guess, well, yeah, the other culture, how they were treating women at that, at that time and how revolutionary that was yeah. for, for women, for that culture. And just um, how, I think we can't, I mean, as Matt, as my husband was talking about that, I was like, I haven't really thought about that. I mean, I've thought about the fact that, sure, Jesus was kind, or he showed kindness, or he, um, you know, showed communicated value to these women, like the Samaritan woman at the well, or the woman who was, you know, had the the bleeding issue. But anyway, it just, I think because I don't experience oppression um, or persecution or all these things that so many women have in Iran, um, yeah, I don't read the Bible. Like, I don't read that those stories in the same way that I would imagine Bahar or Sarah would read that. I think that was, that was revolutionary, that Jesus would have elevated women in the way that he did. So it makes total sense that it was women who, you know, were um, waiting at the foot of the cross or who were yeah. there at the tomb, you know, and um, washing his feet with their hair, that he was um, beloved to them because he was offering them something that, yeah, that no other man that was offering and that their culture was... Um, certainly not doing yeah i think i think it was bahar who said one of the things that was amazing for her reading about jesus is that not only would god have died for my sins but it was a man who died for my sins that like blew her away and if if you and we can't gather the exact statistics for the growth of the church in round one because it's so big and there's so many people who can't tell you they're a Christian, but um, it's pretty clear from what we do know that it's a high percentage of women that are you know in the church and and um, building the church and doing these amazing things because from where they're coming from that Jesus, a man who walked the earth, would speak like that to women. It's funny, when I, so I grew up, again, like in a loving home, we come from a Catholic background. So an Irish Catholic background, which is interesting because only priests can, you know, have to be male. You have nuns, but it's kind of a guy thing. And a lot of my family saw the church as like old fashioned and putting women down because there's a lot of the church that has done that, especially throughout history. They've put women down. And so for me, I became a Christian. I, I became a Christian in America, but when I went back to England, I'd, I'd kind of always have to defend the faith, if you will. 
Um, and they bring up stuff like this about women and the church is old fashioned and it doesn't treat women well. You know, women can be CEOs and prime ministers and run for president and this. And But when you actually read the New Testament, you read the New Testament and you read about the life of Jesus and how he treated women and what he did for women. I mean, I, I don't know how you can look at that and say God is not desperately in love with women. And I mean, they were the first people that saw him raised from the dead. You know, they were the first evangelists. They were, they were the first people to go, Jesus is alive. He gave that job to a woman. I just think that's really beautiful. And, and it... And I love that because I'm I'm raising two little girls, mm-hmm. and I just want them to know that, um, like Sarah, and well, you know whether they plant churches or they go and work in a school or whatever they do, um, I want them to shine. Most people aren't going to stop what they're doing and go and plant seven churches in a city in Iran or go and start leading women's conferences. Why do we need to hear these stories? Like, what what do they do for the average woman who's working or who is staying at home? Because staying at home and being a mom and wife is a is a beautiful calling from the Lord. And it, and it, I don't I not for a second do I want to say women need to go. Like I think we said from the persecution series, you know, what does faithful obedience look like for wherever you're at in life? And so what what do you think of that? Like, how, how would you react to these stories? Just going about your normal day, what does it make you do? I mean, for me, I think it's to see their boldness. And in, in, like for me, I I don't share a lot. I don't talk about my faith a lot, but even... I mean, even the last year, I think I've broken out of that shell a little bit. I mean, I'm on a podcast after all. <laughs> um, but so it's not something I'd ever do. So just to see how, you know, in, in that face of that oppression, they spoke up and they were bold and brave and strong. I, I just, I think it does, it's more, it's not what they did, but maybe how they did it that people can relate to. Like, it's not, you may not be in full-time ministry, but how you live your life and how you share with people just in your day-to-day, not necessarily just as a as an occupation, but just the way you live. I just, I think that boldness for me was mm-hmm. powerful. Yeah. No, I think for me, just the, um, just that for each of these women, how the gospel, and you know, Jesus uh, enabled freedom in each of their lives in different ways. And I think that regardless of where you are uh, in the world and whatever you know role you have, whether you're at home with children or you're in a ministry job or whatever you know you're in, I think we all you know desire freedom and maybe often don't feel free. And um, and I think that hearing their stories and just how um, their experience of knowing, meeting Jesus and knowing him, how he, um, yeah, liberated them and, and, in every kind in every way. And I don't know, there's just a lot of hope there. Cause I think, you know, if we're honest, I mean, I think we all feel, you know, um, all the things that these women were feeling probably, you know, um, 
at times, whether it's, you know, being feeling worthless or feeling devalued, feeling we don't have agency, feeling like we, you know, are lost. Um, we can relate to all those emotions that they were experiencing and that Jesus um, stepped into all that for them. And, and that, you know, as we say all the time, that, you know, the same Jesus or the same God in their story is the same God writing our story. Yeah. And so um, I think it is easy to hear to hear these stories and, and take them at face, not at face value, but to initially think, well, I'm not ever going to plant churches or I'm not ever going to lead a women's ministry of a thousand women. But that, um, yeah, but if you, if you look a little, you know, a few layers down, that um, yeah, all those all those things that they were experiencing or feeling, uh, we we feel those too because um, we live in a broken world as well. Yeah. That Jesus, yeah. That that's what I was. Um, Mushta and Sarah really spoke about that. Is that they had times when they're like, I don't think I can do this. Yeah. You've got the wrong person, God. And uh, that's not just for women, that's for guys as well. You know, we might put on a tough, tough facade at times, but man, we just feel, man, I can't do this. You know, whether it's, I, I remember playing football, every every game I played before it, I'd be like, God, Jesus, I can't do this. Like, I'm not good enough, I'm gonna make a mistake. And <laughs> I did go on to make a few mistakes, but even so every game you'd play and you'd, you know, you'd, do well or not do well, but, but like, I love the honesty of them because even after Mushde has been involved in literally thousands upon thousands of women being trained in the Iran region to build the church, to do Christian ministry, like it's phenomenal. She still carries that. I can't do it. Like I need Jesus for this. And even speaking to Sarah, she, she keeps coming back to, I need to remind myself to believe in who Jesus says I am. And um, Baha's a bit more of a firecracker, isn't she? She's like, I'm gonna take on the world anyway, you know, which, which I really love, which is a personality uh, that is just so precious. And I, I love Baha so much. Um, but for, for the way Mushra and Sarah brought it across was just like, I, I can't do this. I need Jesus. And I'm sure there were moments of tears in that where they didn't feel good enough. So I think for, you know, whatever your work is, whatever your occupation is, I mean, staying at home with a few kids, and that's what Sarah's doing now. She's at home with three kids and some days she's tired and that's tough, but you'd be obedient to what Jesus, the season he has you in and it's like, yeah, you can shine in it. And I, and I think that's what I would love everybody who listens, you know, whether you're shining as a church planter, you're shining as leading a women's conference, you can shine as a mother, you can shine as a wife. And when it just feels like it's too much and you're not good enough, there's a God there who sits with you when you weep and you can get your tears out and then go back and give it another go. <laughs> I just love that. I love that about Jesus. And that's why he sits with women. He sits with men. He, he's not in a rush with them, you know, to be the perfect stay at home mom or to be the perfect women's past leader. You know, it's, it's just, he is, he sits with us and he journeys with us. And that's why I love listening to the stories because they're a journey. They're not just, oh, I met Jesus and then overnight I became the leader of this women's conference. 
Oh, I met Jesus and I went and planted seven churches. There was struggle and hardship. And yes, yeah, so that's what I, I've really enjoyed about them. And I want people to hear. Sarah said something in her message. It was towards the end. Um, I mean, it was simple, but it was, you're important mm -hmm. and God wants to use you. And that doesn't mean the same for everyone. It means something very different for them. But when they listen to the Spirit and they, they followed, you know, they all would get excited when they would hear these, you know, they'd say, but only God. Yeah. You know, I can't do this, but God can do this. And He's using me. He wants to use me. He sees value. And there's no other. I mean, you can't, you can't look at it any other way that He wants to use women. Because what Sarah did in the face of those older Muslim men and, you know, and was able to speak to them and they listen back. Like that's not something that happens in that culture typically. So, and, and she just kept saying, but only God. And so right. that's, I've got to throw this question out there. Oh my gosh. This is a good question. So as women in the West, so Jen, whether you're on the farm, taking care of stuff, you're in, whether we're in front of computers, working, taking care of the kids, family, doing all this kind of stuff. When we hear an Iranian say, God told me to do this, it, it's easier for us to go, oh yeah, God speaks to Iranians like that because, you know, they're in a Muslim country and God has to speak. Like, how do we know what the Lord's calling us to do? Do we have to hear it from the pastor? Do we have to hear it from a leader? Like, how do you, would you say you hear the voice of God? I mean, I, I do hear him. Not audibly, but I see him, you know, out in nature. And But for me, it's, it feels like he has been sort of pulling me along all this way. I, I was born in a Christian family. We didn't go to church, but we went to every VBS in the summer. So we had this basic understanding. Woman of Jesus. VBS for people outside of America is vacation, <laughs> vacation Bible, Bible school. school. So a week long of intensive Jesus training yeah. for little kids <laughs> in the summer where you get to also have snacks and do crafts, which, you know, was really the reason I went. But so, you know, he kept planting these little seeds. And I think I was, I wasn't far away from him, but I wasn't close either. And, you know, I prayed for, prayed and, talked to my husband about wanting a new job and you know all of a sudden this person calls me it's at the church and but it's in the area I work in it's not religious work necessarily but I was like I can do their books sure but through that you know you just see this progression and how he just sort of pulls me in a little bit more and we talked a little bit about my daughter's adoption and there was a song when we, as we were going through training for for foster care and adoption and in the video was Good Good Father. Mm -hmm. And so I remember, I was like, oh, I like that song. And um, as we were going through the really hard times and I'm like, why am I doing this? I thought I heard God say, it was, you know, we were, we were here to, to, to be the family for, for our daughter. And I kept questioning and questioning. And, and on the way to court one day, the song came on and I'd never heard it on the radio before. It came on and I thought, huh, that's, you know, and that court was awful. That court date was awful. It was terrible. And I looked back and I was like, he was saying to me, he spoke through that song, like, there is hope. Just hang on. Just hang on. And and this is this is the plan I have for you. But so those are the ways I hear it. I hear it through prayer and listening, but also I mean, he, people say things and I hear songs. And Yeah, it reminds me of that beautiful moment, uh, beautiful, but when Sarah was in prison and she's like almost in depression and questioning God, did you really do this? Where are you? 
And she says, my heaven was silent. And then she felt the Lord say, you're acting like I'm not alive. And I think we all go through those moments and we have to remember what we felt in the past. We have to hang on to that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually, and, and another thing, just, just for me, I mean, the obvious one that we can say to check the box and be a good Christian is through his word. Like, I, I really believe the Bible is the word of God. The, the next plug for the next series, we're going to be talking about scriptures in Iran and, and how that's affected the Iran region. Um, but just reading Psalm 139 this morning with the kids before they went to school, And it's just beautiful, like, Lord, you've searched me and you know me. Like, you know my lying down and my weight. And and these just beautiful words that I was telling the kids, you know, we've read that psalm a lot um, now and it becomes common, but I was reading it this morning and thinking, everybody's made in the image of God. Like these women in Iran, us here today, and he wants to speak to all of us and encourage all of us. Jesus Speaks Farsi is produced by Elam Ministries, a nonprofit charity whose mission is to strengthen and expand the church in the Iran region and beyond. For more information and ways to partner, visit elam.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. We would love for more people to learn about what Jesus is doing amongst Persian speakers today.